Let me just hitchhike on that for just a moment and encourage you, if you're not in a small group, if you're not in a Bible study, say men's, uh, women's, we have lots of different opportunities, as Michael just said in the video, for you here at Wheaton Bible Church. We need one another. We grow in concert with one another. Some of the most richest experience in my life, some of the uh, greatest um, uh, experiences with God's Word have occurred in, in groups, and I want that for you, especially if you're new to the church. One other thing, and then we'll get into our series. I want you to know that next Sunday, author and speaker Tom Doyle will be here again at Wheaton Bible Church. Tom is a functional expert on the Middle East. He told me in a text about a month ago he had just gotten back from Iran, I'm, very few people in the United States have the opportunity to go to Iran. Uh, Tom travels throughout the Middle East. He leads a ministry that's focused on the Middle East. Maybe you've read some of his books on what God is doing, the spiritual war that's taking place behind the scenes in the Middle East. And Tom, as I mentioned, has spoken here a number of times. He will be here on Sunday, and you are going to love him. Tom and I will also be formally introducing the trip we are going to lead to Israel and to Jordan next or this coming November. So we have 11 months for you to begin to save, for you to, uh, to pray about that. And Tom and I will be leading that trip along with our wives and want to invite you uh, to join us as we see all that God has done and is doing in the Middle East, especially in Israel. So having said that, as you can tell, today we are kicking off the new year by kicking off a new series, a series we've entitled Spiritual War. It's a series about all that God has given us in Jesus Christ so that we can overcome the persistent and pernicious attacks of Satan who the New Testament tells us roams around seeking someone to devour. I do not want that to be you in 2020. So we're rooting this series in the last couple of paragraphs of Ephesians chapter 6, Paul's letter to a group of churches around the city of Ephesus. And I want you to stand with me as we read beginning in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Note full armor. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then. Now, even though Paul tells us to stand, you may be seated. Uh, the very first word in verse 10 is the word finally. 
It's as if Paul is telling us everything he said in the first six and a half chapters of the book of Ephesians can now be ours experientially if we put on the armor of God. So, for example, if we go back to chapter 1, if the wonder of all God has done for us, he has elected us, he has chosen us, he has given us the Holy Spirit, if all the wonder of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ is to become real in our experience, real in our hearts, if the unity of the church in the bond of the Spirit is going to enable us to overcome political, racial, social barriers, that's the point of chapters 2 and 3, if you and I as followers of Jesus Christ are going to transcend our self-centeredness and our self-righteousness, our anger and our anxiety, which is what Paul talks about in chapters 4 and 5, if our Christian marriages, Christian parenting, and our Christian lives as singles are going to be great, that's chapter 5 and the first part of chapter 6. Then Paul's point when he says finally at the beginning of verse 10 is that we can overcome to the extent we stand firmly against the devil and stand humbly in Jesus Christ. I mean, let's talk about culture for a moment. And the larger theological fabrications, uh, the values uh, that are central to our culture that have uh, nothing to do with the Bible, how are we going to stand against them? I mean, so the values, the narrative today that God doesn't exist, that if you fend for yourself, you'll just be fine. Uh, uh, the, these underlying values of money and fame and fun or the key to happiness or the traditional definition of marriage one man one woman uh, for life our culture tells us that's archaic our culture today tells us gender is changeable our culture today tells us abortion is no big deal uh, what are we to do well again Paul is calling us here after everything he has said in the book of Ephesians to stand firmly against Satan by standing humbly in Jesus Christ. I frankly can't think of a, a, a better, more applicable, more important passage as we begin a new year than these couple paragraphs that begin in Ephesians 6 and verse 10. I'm experiencing this personally. December uh, a portion of December was really rough for me. A lot of stress here, stress at home. We have a big family, a lot of chaos. And there was a moment when I blew it, when I said something I shouldn't have said to people I shouldn't have said it to in a way I shouldn't have said it. And at absolutely the wrong time to say it. And it changed the tone of our, our, our Christmas. And it was on me. And then I began to work on this sermon. And I began to study this passage. And we're just beginning today with the introduction to this wonderful passage. 
And God began to recalibrate and give me the bigger picture, and God began to heal as I experienced the truth of these divinely inspired words. And men and women, you students, you children, I want this for you in 2020. I can't say strongly enough how important this passage is to how you fare in 2020. So pray for me as I preach. Pray for you that, that God will give you ears to hear. We are on, we have stumbled into a gold mine. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about the war, then I want to talk about the warrior, and then I want to talk about the win. So let's start with the war. Over and over, the Bible tells us for the believer in Christ, because we live in a sinful, fallen world, that life is not a picnic, it's a war. Here it's a, a cosmic war in Ephesians chapter 6. Over and over, the, uh, the Bible tells us that evil isn't one-dimensional, it's multi-dimensional. It comes at you from the world, it comes at you from your own flesh, your sinful heart. And it comes at you from the devil. Now this is important for us today because there are segments of our culture that tell us that our, our problems are situational, so education is the way out. Or that no, our, our problems are psychological, relating back to our family of origin, so new beginnings is the way forward. Others say no, it's genetic, and science is the solution. Ancient paganism as well as some forms of modern paganism, say, no, it's the fact that we've offended the spirits. There are, are, are karmas off kilter. So we need to light candles, make sacrifices of sorts to the gods and goddesses that we worship. Author Tim Keller asked the question, who's right? And he tells us that according to the Bible, everyone is right and everyone is equally wrong in these different assertions. Because the Bible tells us evil is not one-dimensional. It's multi-dimensional. It comes from outside you, from inside you, and above you. And that's what we see in our passage. So let's start. Let me jump ahead to verse 12 for a moment. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is the evil above us. This is what we're primarily going to talk about. Now, this realm is not a science fiction parallel universe. This realm is part of God's created order. I mean, think about that. In other words, God created two types of beings who have personhood and character, humans and angels. So these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms are fallen angels who are doing everything they can to resist Christ and all that he offers us in the gospel. <laughs> and this is our battle. This is the battle above us. And unless we understand how the world and the flesh and the devil is coming at us, we will live defeated lives. 
in the year of the years to come. So the first thing I want you to understand relative to this war, this war is multidimensional. Now let me back up. Let's go to the end of verse 11. So Paul says, take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now notice the word schemes. Schemes refer to a lot of things, and I'm going to spend some time here. They refer to the trials and the temptations that the enemy throws at you. I mean, think of the book of Job and the multiple trials Satan threw at Job. Or, or think of uh, Jesus in the wilderness when Satan throws multiple temptations at Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. But often, and this is what makes this so dangerous, these schemes are much more subtle than that. So for example, uh, look at Jesus speaking to the religious leaders of Israel, and I want you to note how badly Jesus failed sensitivity training. He says, uh, speaking to the religious leaders, uh, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks in his native language, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. In other words, one of the primary ways Satan is going to attack you isn't by possessing you, but by deceiving you. Satan is the father of lies. This is exactly what Paul will say a little later in verse 14. Uh, when he says, and here he stayed in a positively, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around you. Now the belt of truth is a symbol. All the pieces of armor are symbols. The armor itself is a symbol. And the belt of truth is a symbol for pressing the truth of God's word into your heart. Why? Because the primary way Satan's going to attack you isn't by possessing you, but by deceiving you. And the primary way you stand against Satan is by pressing the truth of God's word into your heart. Now, do you see how subtle this is? How subtle Satan's schemes are? Satan doesn't leave fang marks in your flesh. He plants lies in your heart. Wow. And what that means is that spiritual war, our series is entitled Spiritual War, is the daily battle for your heart. And it's subtle. Sometimes you're not even aware it's going on. Now, yeah, sometimes it involves exorcisms, uh, but n not normally. It, 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 it's Satan whispering to you, you know, you're really worthless. Or you're, God doesn't really care. You wouldn't be going through this if he did. Or there is no hope. How often do we feel like life or situations, relationships are, are, are hopeless? Or it's Satan coming to you and scheming around idolatry. And what is idolatry? Idolatry is where you take a good thing like your job or your marriage and you make it the ultimate thing. 
And if it's the ultimate thing, it's not going to carry you. It's going to disappoint you because you're putting too much weight on it. But this subject of Satan's schemes is so important. I want to take this a step further. Thankfully, the Bible gives us some more specifics. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is speaking, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware, and there it is again, of, of his schemes. Satan wants to keep you locked in unforgiveness. It's a scheme of unforgiveness. Now, of course people are going to hurt us, and often the people that we're the closest to hurt us the most. But if you can't forgive, you're locked in the grasp of the devil. And you think, well, it was, the evil was too great, the issue was, was too big, I, I can't forgive. And I'm telling you, that's one of Satan's schemes. Another of Satan's schemes is anger. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Uh, Satan is waiting in the shadows to exploit your anger. And you end up doing, saying, uh, thinking horrible things. And it ends up crushing your soul and it crushes the soul of others. Now we think when we get angry, we're just blowing smoke, letting off steam. But the reality is, according to God's word, we're opening the door to Satan. And the brokenness increases in our lives and the dysfunction because of our anger in the lives of others. And Satan uses your unforgiveness, he uses your anger to do untold damage. Friends, Jesus says earlier in the Gospels, deny yourself and take up your cross. He doesn't say take up your armchair, lounge chair. And I, I love you guys, and in some ways this is kind of a sober way to begin the year, but I got to say to you, according to the Bible, your life will not be a picnic, it will be a war. And evil will come at you in a variety of different ways, and often it's going to be incredibly subtle. Now let's go from the war to the warrior. According to our passage, you and I are the warriors. And look at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now I want you to notice something. According to this verse, it takes a warrior spirit to be a Christian. Be strong. Be strong in God's mighty power. Someone once said years ago, actually several centuries ago, that it takes more courage, it takes more discipline, it takes more endurance 
to follow Christ than it does to lead a battalion into war. What? How could that be? Because evil comes at us from the world and our own flesh and the devil constantly whispering to us, God isn't going to do you any good. God isn't going to do you any favors. Um, uh, forget about him. Uh, you know, if you, you go too deep into Christianity, you're, you're going to lose a lot of fun in life. Uh, because what God wants is really restrictive and onerous. And, and actually, Christianity is anti-intellectual, anti-modern. And because we buy into some of these lies, this is why more and more Christians today are settling for Christianity light. I don't know any other way to explain it. Give me a little of Jesus, a little of church, a little of the Bible. It's a war. But when you put verses 10 and 11 together, at least the first part of 11, Paul here tells us how to do what he's commanding in verse 10. How do you and I cultivate a warrior spirit? How do we make a difference in 2020 so we don't just waste the year, we spend the year for the glory of God by putting on the full armor of God? Not a piece, the full. And here Paul tells us what it means to be strong in the Lord. But I want you to notice this. This is a military metaphor. And one of the things it means is to be a Christian is that we live a life of obedience. Now, we can't do that perfectly. We can't even do it perfectly for 30 minutes. But, but we are committed, the disposition, the goal, the end game for us is to become increasingly obedient, increasingly to submit our will uh, to God's will just as a soldier submits his or her will to the commanding officer. But our problem, this is our, our Christian life today, we want God to bless us. We do not want God to master us. I'm going to do my own thing. So we hold on to pockets of disobedience. So, for example, let's take sex. Rampant today in the West. What does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches us that sex is reserved to be enjoyed between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. Why? Because God designed sex To say, I'm totally committed to you. I'm permanently committed to you. And I, I, and I love you. So what do you do in this sex-saturated culture? If you're a 19-year-old male and your hormones are raging. Or what do you do if you're a 29-year-old single and you want, you long to be married. Do you compromise your purity? Or what do you do if you love porn? Or if you have strong feelings for the same sex? 
Well, think about the metaphor. If you're a soldier, you can't say to your commanding officer, hey, I'll obey you when it's convenient, or I want to reserve the right, we're on the front lines and at war, to obey you as long as it aligns with my feelings. No army can function that way. This is why Paul uses a military metaphor. He's not trying to glorify the military. He's telling us that obedience is so central that the magnitude of the role of obedience in the life of a believer is so important that we must obey God in spite of what we feel. And you and I will get into trouble. I get into trouble over and over because I give sway to my feelings. And I trust my feelings rather than trusting God. That's going to be one of your greatest challenges this year. Are you going to trust what you think, what you feel? Or are you going to trust God? So all this to say that putting on the armor of God, first of all, is a call to obedience. But it's a lot more than that. It's also a metaphor for clinging to Jesus Christ. So look at the language. We're to be strong in the Lord, not in ourselves, but in the Lord. So put on the full armor of God. What does that mean? That means I grab a hold of all the benefits and all the blessings that have come to me in Jesus Christ. And I deflect the arrows. I deflect the blows of the enemy. I, I, I throttle my flesh. I, I, I resist the, the lies of the world. Because armor here refers to obedience, but more importantly, it refers to living in light of the wonder of our identity in Jesus Christ. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should become children of God. So when Paul in this passage repeatedly says stand firm, he is not saying buck up, he is saying believe up. It's not you standing in you, it's you taking your eyes off yourself and fixing your eyes on on Jesus. And the armor here takes us back to in the Lord. Where you say to yourself in the heat of the moment, I know my Savior is protecting me. I I know my Savior offers peace. I know my Savior gives me power. I know his presence is here with me right now. Now, putting on the armor of God, being strong in the Lord, and standing and standing firm are all synonyms for the same thing. Lean into Jesus. Take him at his word. Enjoy the wonder of what he has done for you. Now, I want to build on this, and now I want to move to the win. And I want to offer you two application points. And we're going to go a little deeper on some of the things that I've just laid as a foundation. So what are the wins? Well, win number one is you win if you live it. Now think about the words here in Ephesians chapter 6. 
Paul is writing to Christians, right? The Christians in the region of Ephesus. And yet, when he talks about putting on the armor, standing strong, standing firm, he, he's implying that they're not using the armor. In other words, the moment you and I come to Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The moment we come to Christ, we are given the complete armor of God. Uh, but apparently, uh, these believers, like many of us today, weren't using their armor. So we know from chapters 4 and 5, they had a, a, a bunch of struggles. They struggled with sexual immorality. They struggled with anger. They struggled with greed, uh, with bitterness, uh, and on and on. We know from um, chapter 5 that some of the wives, many of the wives didn't much respect their husbands, and many of the husbands didn't give a hoot about loving their wives. And so here Paul says, in Ephesians chapter 6, you have to use what you possess. It's one thing to know God theoretically. It's another thing to um, experience him functionally. And you win if you live it. Now let me illustrate this by going back a couple of chapters. to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17. Uh, this is my favorite prayer, part of my favorite prayer in, in the epistles. And here Paul is praying, and he's praying for the church at Ephesus at chapter 3, and he says in this sentence, so that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. Now think about it. The moment you and I come to Christ, Christ takes up residence in our lives. So Jesus will say in John 15, abide in me as I abide in you. Jesus already indwells us. So why in the world is Paul praying that Christ will dwell in our hearts by faith? And the answer is because he wants us to move from a theoretical, theoretical knowledge uh, to an experiential way of living. Now, what happens for most of us, now here I'm going to focus on the word dwell. What most of the time dwells in our hearts is money, our schedule, power, family, None of those are wrong. But Paul says, may you experience what you already possess. He's praying that we will put on the armor of God. Now, there's an interesting episode that illustrates this in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is within the, with the disciples in a boat, the Sea of Galilee, and a violent storm comes up. And the disciples panic. And the contrast is, is almost humorous. The disciples are panicking, and Jesus is asleep. And water's coming in the boat, and the disciples begin to think they're drowning. So what do they do? They wake up Jesus, and they say, Master, don't you give a grip that we're about to drown? Now, you and I would never say that to God. And Jesus responds by asking a question. Where is your faith? He doesn't say you need faith. He's been with them for a couple years. He knows they have faith. He asks the question, 
Where is your faith? He's asking the question, why will you not put into practice your faith in the midst of life's storms? It's a training section. Jesus sends us into the storm so we can exercise faith. Where is your faith? It's not that you don't have faith. Use it. One of the things I love about this section, even though it's dark and can be misunderstood, this passage overflows with confidence in the wonder of Christ. You see, we don't, we don't fight for victory we fight in victory, right? Christ died for us. He has defeated Satan. The victory is ours. And you and I will win if we live it, if we put our faith into practice. And so I want to ask you today, I want to ask you right now to drive yourself to the emergency room and to say to God, God, I'm bleeding. I'm broken. I struggle with anger. I struggle with deception. I, I, I struggle with unforgiveness. And I need you to do surgery on my soul, and I'm going to need you to do surgery repeatedly, but I want to start this new year by giving myself to live it. Second application. You win if you start now. Look at verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes. Now, notice the sequence. Do you see the timing? And Paul is saying, put on your armor before the battle. Start now at the beginning. Start today. I mean, let's say you're a Navy SEAL. And you've got a small group of uh, seals with you and you're, you're holding the line uh, in the middle of that fight that most dangerous moment you don't say to your fellow Navy SEALs hey I gotta go change I'll be right back no you and I put on the armor ahead of time we, uh, we, we start now we give ourselves to living this life and we take advantage of the abundant life God offers us in Jesus Christ uh, uh, friends, if you're a Navy SEAL and you're not prepared ahead of time, you can die. And when it comes to the kingdom of God and when it comes to the spiritual life, it's not what you do in the moment of the crisis, but what you do in the days, the weeks, the months, and the years leading up to the crisis that enables you to thrive. Start now. As we begin this new year, I want to plead with you to read the Bible regularly, consistently. Uh, maybe you decide to read the Bible through the read the Bible in a year through this year. There's all sorts of sources online that, that can help you and schedules. 
I want to encourage you to pray this year as you've never prayed before. Because the devil's schemes are real. And your life is at stake and the life of the people around you that love you. I want to encourage you, I want to plead with you to take church and, and your group seriously. Start now. Start today. Now let me conclude by saying we need to remember that we can't do this on our own. That the power isn't um, something we conjure up, it's something we submit to. And it helps us get down the road when we understand that when Jesus Christ came 2,000 plus years ago, he didn't come with swords in his hands, he came with nails in his hands. And the reason he came with nails in his hands is that so he could end evil without ending you. And to the extent we see this sacrifice of Christ, this love that takes the, the form of drops of blood, that melts our heart, and we lean into and we cling to and we press in, 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 into Jesus. Because evil's going to come at us, outside us, inside us, and, and above us. And I want to say to you, uh, if you are angry, if you are arrogant, if you are excessively anxious, then Satan wins. But if beginning today you drive and you keep driving to the emergency room and you confess and you talk to God and you lean on him as the infinite physician, the infinite uh, surgeon, then what's going to happen is uh, you're, you're going to change. You won't ever be perfect. But you're going to love your enemies because you know Christ died for you. And you're going to overcome your idols. And you're going to have the horsepower in Jesus Christ to stop believing the lies that you know are embedded in your heart. Let's pray. So, Father, we come to you and we ask for grace. We thank you that that grace is available to us and we know that because Jesus died in our place. I want to pray for these men and women for this new year and pray, God, that we would understand our battle and that in Jesus Christ and the blessings and the privileges of our salvation, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul says in chapter 1 of Ephesians, that would be our governor. That would be our true north. That we might glorify you. Amen.